Hi, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, the program for automotive professionals that keeps you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. I'm your host, Tony Mala, and we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. This podcast is sponsored by Dell Technologies, an ASA-sponsored benefit provider, providing practical solutions and advice to keep your business on the cutting edge of technology. Hi, I'm talking with John Glossick, the service manager at Geno's Automotive Service. We're doing a series of podcasts where we're talking to not just the existing shop owners we have out there, but the individuals who are going to be taken over when we're gone. And uh, John comes highly recommended as one of the next generation of leaders within our industry. So I thought it would be a great idea to reach out and have a conversation with him. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate it. This is a neat opportunity. So hopefully... I can give a little insight into what's going on for the next generation of managers, service advisors, possibly future shop owners. Well, that's the whole point of the exercise. But let me start off with an obvious question. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the business? Well, I always felt an affinity for automobiles, you know, anything with a motor. Uh I particularly like cars of the 60s and 70s era. I've owned quite a few. So I started out, that happened pretty young age, 14, 15 years old. And after playing around with that for a while, you know, I just began to want to build my own cars, build my own engine. That got me down to a local machine shop. And the proprietor there kind of just saw me around, sniffing around, you know, and he would give me pointers and help me and then took me under his wing. So I began actually in this industry in a machine shop, learning how to resurface cylinder heads, bore out blocks, you know, install bearings, stuff like that. You know, I kind of took this all on my own. Didn't really have a lot of family members that were in the automotive industry or had it showed a lot of interest in it. So it was kind of something I did on my own. As time went on, my other passion was into sports, particularly golf. In fact, I was actually accepted to the PGM school at Penn State University. Oh, wow. I started there in uh, 2003. And after my first semester, I decided that the time I had to put in there didn't really work. So I actually changed majors, went to business management. Then on my second year there, under my business management degree, I found out that they were also offering an automotive degree at a neighboring technical school that they were governing. Uh-huh. So I basically graduated in 06 with a dual major, business management with my bachelor degree with a minor in automotive technology. You're the service manager at Geno's, right? That's correct. Yes, I am. I've been here almost 10 years. And you're also still a working technician, I believe you told me, right? Yep. I still carry all my uh, ASCs and I actually have to renew. Thank God for year round testing. Yes, that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> and you said you've been with Geno's for about 10 years. Tell me a little bit about Geno's. We are a uh, south suburb of Denver. Littleton's about uh, 18 miles south of uh, downtown Denver. Geno's is an establishment that's been here since 1983, mm. the year I was born. It was started by two brothers, the Horvath brothers. Uh-huh. The older one retired, Geno. And Steve is the owner now, current, and a good friend of mine, golfing buddy. (laughs) They've been at this location since like the mid-90s, 95, 96. Uh And um, it's actually right across the street from the Columbine Country Club. It's kind of a mixed neighborhood because we have a group of apartments that were built in the late 90s, very far away, and they're really nice. So Mm -hmm. we're middle class to lower affluent, I guess, would be the range you would be looking for. Yeah, all of our customers are super easy to work with. 
I've worked at two other shops in Denver, uh-huh. and this is probably the easiest customer base to work with as far as like explaining repairs to and understanding and th- them wanting to actually retain their vehicle and not just, you know, switch out vehicles when they break. And having a loyal customer base is something every shop owner dreams about. Having a golf course right across the street has to be something that Steve uh, looks forward to, I would imagine. I know I've met Steve at several Colorado meetings. I didn't realize he was an avid golfer. I didn't realize you were. Yeah, Steve's a great golfer. He's better than me. He's very consistent. So let that go on record, Steve. The golf course across the street, you can only pretty much look at from the road, Uh but you can't shake a stick without hitting a golf course in this area. And there's a few that we play locally that we like. One of the things I wanted to probe in these podcasts are the different perceptions of the industry and the business and everything else across generational lines. Younger generations tend to think differently. Gotcha that you were born about the same time the business opened, so you're right in that sweet spot we're looking for. Tell me, from your perspective as a a service manager, what sort of things that do you worry about? What kind of keeps you up at night in the business? What do you see as some of the biggest challenges that you have? You hear a common cry throughout the industry, technician availability. Right. We all know about it. It keeps a lot of people up at night and stuff like that. We're a five-bay shop. We have four technicians one who's an apprentice right out of tech school. Uh, He's 21. Great kid. Mm -hmm. So we have three ASC certified technicians and we don't really go through employees too often. I'd say, you know, maybe three to four years. Uh, In fact, we're retiring a guy this year. Mm. So he's uh, mid sixties and he's retiring. But when we do look for technicians, it's not too daunting of a task just because we could kind of plan it out. I think the longest we've gone is like 30 days. Hmm. So that's not too big of a worry for us. And we have some avenues that we use to look into technicians through that way. Mm -hmm. As far as finding technicians currently, we do have a guy that came in the late 20s and he's from back east. He's from New Jersey. And Mm -hmm. he is somebody that you want to model your new generation of technicians after because he comes in, you know, he's AC certified. He's trained. He went to college. He has additional training. He went to some ASA classes back there for technician training. Mm -hmm. So he took self-initiative to want to invest himself into this industry. That's kind of hard to find. Mm -hmm. I would say the most thing that keeps me up at night is from what I've seen, it is a real fact that there is a shortage of technicians for the the larger course of uh, the whole industry. Mm -hmm. But it's what to do when you have the technicians here and them having that knowledge. And not to say like use it against you, but I mean, for us, it makes it a little harder to you still need to reprimand. You still need to like, look, you blatantly missed this or, you know, you maybe sold them something that, you know, it was a guess as far as a diagnostic, didn't fix it. Mm-hmm. We're working with procedures and how to deal with that because you can't deal with that the same way you did 15 years ago. Especially the younger technicians, they react differently. Shop owners I've talked to that are heavily into developing their technicians. Because that's, I think, number one uh, that the young technicians are looking for is someone that's going to help them grow, help them develop. Yeah. One of the shop owners I interviewed not too long ago said, you know, they don't react well to criticism, but they do react very well to coaching. Yeah. We'll return to our podcast after a word from our sponsor. No doubt as a shop owner, you're faced with technology decisions that will affect your business, not only in the short term, but long range. Having a partner like Dell Technologies available to you 24-7 brings game-changing ideas and insights, as well as practical solutions and advice to keep your service business on the cutting edge of technology. The challenges of managing and growing your business needs a partner like Dell Technologies. Dell Technologies understands that every business is different. They understand that you need to stay ahead of the curve to improve your productivity and have flexible security solutions. 
Rely on Dell Technologies' 35-plus years of experience partnering with small businesses like yours to help you thrive. Dell Technologies' partnership will help guide your business's success today and far into the future. ASA members save an extra 5 to 10% off Dell-branded items like laptops, desktops, monitors, and all the rest of the technology you need for the shop in the office. Call 1-800-757-8442 now and speak with one of Dell's small business U.S.-based tech advisors. Or visit www.dell.com slash ASA shop to take advantage of your member savings today. And now back to our podcast. You said you have an intern in there now? We do. He's a 20-year-old general maintenance tech. Mm -hmm. Very kind kid. This is his first shop that he's worked at out of school. Mm -hmm. I work with him differently than I work with the gentlemen that work here that are in their like 50s. Mm -hmm. I give him a little bit of coaching, kind of like a positive backing when something goofs up or he comes to me with a part in two different pieces and says, I need one of these, you know, it wasn't broken before the car came in. I just try and make it more of a learning experience. Like, hey, you know, and we don't come down, we don't dog, if anything, try and make light of it. He's the type of guy that reacts to that in a positive way. And he knows like, hey, you know, I next time I'll be a little careful. I'll be mindful of that. Because all of this stuff for him is a first-time experience. Mm-hmm. This is not something that is like, you know, my 30-year veteran master techs mm-hmm. that they've seen this 150 times. This is all brand new for this guy. So, I mean, I think positive reinforcement is the way to go with the up-and-coming technicians. If you take them out back and you're sticking your finger in their face, they ain't going to stay with you that long. No, they, and they don't react well to that. And that's, that's one of the generational keys, I think. But you had mentioned you, you have a couple of senior technicians there. Do you put them together in, as a mentor and, a, and an apprentice situation? How do you grow your entry-level technicians? That's a great question. So what we do is I start out, we'll bring them in here. We start them out with the basics. Once they're here for a couple months, they get acclimated to the shop. Then what I'll do is I will pair them with one or two of the senior techs. Mm-hmm. And that works out really well because that takes me out of the picture. Now it's just these two. Mm-hmm. And you get guy A who has been in the industry for 25 plus years. Mm-hmm. You get guy B that's been here for three months. And then you get them together talking and it'll show him like, hey, anything as simple as when you're tightening an oil filter, little things like that, stuff that you and I and anybody listening to this would be like, oh yeah, well, like I said, this is first time in information for a lot of these uh, younger guys. That's exactly the kind of, of development they need, really. Uh, we call it tricks of the trade, learning the ropes. There's lots of euphemisms for it. Absolutely. Basically, it's a transfer of knowledge. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I worry a little bit about in our industry, not just our industry, everywhere. There's very little transfer of knowledge between the generation that's retiring and the ones that are coming in. Yeah. And I think that's even more important nowadays with what we're dealing with. The level of technology in the average vehicle is just astounding. And if you think about it in the space of one career, we've gone from essentially mechanical control systems to highly sophisticated computer networks in the average vehicle. And some of the same people who were working on carburetors, you know, back in the 80s are still working on vehicles now and they've brought themselves along. One of the most robust training infrastructures I think that exists is the one in the automotive service industry. And that has been disrupted this year. Uh, well, last year, actually, because of the COVID situation. Yeah. Let me ask you that. How did you guys fare during the worst of the COVID crisis in the Denver area? Are you kind of through it? We seem to be coming out of it now with the vaccinations. How has it impacted your business? In April, we were all making adjustments. 
but we have such a great clientele. We actually had people come in thanking us for still being here, still being open. No. Car count was down a little bit in April. But after that, it seemed to pick up. It seemed like people wanted to get behind us and support us. You know, I think, not to take it lightly, I mean, but basically we just hung a piece of plexiglass and told people to wear masks in the front office. And we stayed business as usual. I mean, nose of the grindstone. All our employees were on board. We had one employee, he took the month of March off mm-hmm. due to retirement, wanted to you know, make sure he didn't get sick take sickness home to his grandkids, you know, stuff like that. So, and then he came back and I think it was early April Mm -hmm. and we've been chugging along very well. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that we did that I see because I mean, I read Motor Magazine. I read Ratchet and Wrench. Mm -hmm. I read every single one of those articles when they come out. And that's how I stay current with what's going on else. And and those are excellent periodicals that keep you in light to what other shop owners are doing and what other shops are doing. And I think we we're falling in line with everybody. I mean, we were offering rides home, picking them up. Mm-hmm. We were delivering cars and picking up cars for some folks. I think the number one thing that kind of threw people off a little bit is when we canceled all waiting appointments. Oh. We are an old Shell gas station from the 50s. We don't have a big waiting room. When we did our addition, we focused more on square footage of the shop. We didn't really do anything with the addition, so nowhere for anybody to sit. But some people just want to go for a walk and hang out, and that's fine. But when it's 12 degrees outside, nobody's going for walks anywhere. <laughs> So we have seven loaner cars. So we just hand the keys to the loaner car and they can go and go about their day and not wait for us. In an affluent area, that's really important. Absolutely. It's a different game now. First of all, you have to have quality to get in the game. You really, you have to be customer focused and they're looking for a solution, not just automotive service. You know, They want you to fix some pain they have and, and they need their car. That's our basic transportation system. Yeah. Being able to accommodate their mobility needs, I think, is, is one of those new paradigms that we're going to be dealing with as an industry. That's another question I wanted to ask you. We've talked a lot about the impact of COVID on, on the businesses and stuff like that throughout the last year, because that's what everybody's been focused on. Some things are going to stick. The touchless service, for example, seems to be real popular with a lot of customers. A lot of people have said that. As you had mentioned, you know, dropping off and picking up vehicles, it's a convenience. And I think being able to provide that level of service really impresses folks because they're not used to it. Yeah. But as an industry, we're still struggling with some of the biggest challenges we've had forever. You had mentioned one of them, which is finding the talent that we need, the young technicians. And there's been a couple of organizations out in the industry that are working on that. But from your perspective, and again, you've been in the industry long enough to kind of look around. What do you think the industry, the capital I industry... The challenges that we face, you think are going to be to have the biggest impact on our shops going forward. What do you see as some of the biggest industry challenges that we're facing? For example, is it electrification? What, what do you see as the, as the next wave of, of disruption coming through the marketplace? Well, look, there's always going to be brakes and suspension on cars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always going to need to be service. The propulsion is going to change mm-hmm. in some way or another. But uh, the industry is solely going to have to shift to auto electrical training, diag and repair. That's just kind of uh, where everything's going. The infotainment systems and communication systems are so advanced, you know, it almost takes an electrical engineer to figure some of that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's more than just component pinpointing. I mean, there's still going to be electrical issues and stuff. And, but in my lifetime, I'm going to see autonomous vehicles. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a whole different ballgame. So the shift right now needs to go from how to sit in a class and diagnose an oxygen sensor to how to do advanced electrical diagram circuit tracing. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to be in-depth electrical circuit training. That will be the shift to, you know, Tesla has uh, their, their in-house program that all their technicians take. And that, and from what I hear from the people that I know that have taken that, that is a very, very intense class. I mean, that's uh, two years training. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be more of the shift that the industry is going to have to take. It's going to have to get away from the basics to get people trained up on this stuff and then focus more on the lithium ion battery, uh, high voltage battery circuits. I said earlier in the podcast, you know, we have one of the most robust training infrastructures, I think, in any industry. But a lot changed last year where we had to basically step away from the live classes that we're all used to and doing a lot of virtual training. I know we've been doing it ourselves here at ASA. Have you taken advantage of some of the virtual training and are your, especially your younger technicians, increasing their knowledge more virtually now than attending in-person events? How's that working out for you? You know, it's working great so far. The apprentice technician, he's been taking online classes Mm -hmm. and he's actually getting certified through NAPA. My other technicians, they're looking for more advanced diagnostic training. Mm-hmm. We're still looking into that. My newest technician, uh, the, my newest master technician, you know, he's in his late twenties, you know, he would be open to something like that. The older generation, you know, they're, they're kind of past that. And uh, again, you go back to the generational, you know, you, you get a, more of a hands-on generation of technicians and then you get a virtual. It's tough to teach a hands-on how to learn virtually. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. There's some people that can learn by books and there's some people that need to have their books on tape. There's some people that need to have a physical book. I mean, I, I, it's just everybody's different. The only thing we have in common is we all tend to be tactile learners. I was a technician and, you know, you tend to like to touch things. Yep. And the live training's coming back. It's just a question of time. Yep. But one of the things a lot of folks have commented on is the fact that, you know, this virtual thing has its advantages. You save a lot on costs, obviously, because you're not traveling and staying in hotels and that sort of thing. But more to the point, it's more effective from a time management point of view, where you can take the training pretty much 24-7 in some cases if they're recorded, or at least uh, sign up to get trained at a certain time of day, but again, not having to leave the facility. And you can train multiple people at once. So much so that a lot of the folks that do the training, even the ones who are traditionally hands-on trainers, live training, have said, you know, going forward, this is probably going to be a component of everything that we do. Because the more rural shops you can reach, you know, the people that, again, can't travel for one reason or another, small shops can't afford to have the people out of the business, that sort of thing. But you still have to keep up with the changing technology, as you've mentioned. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in your case, uh, having a management role, you know, at Geno's, I got to ask you, what, what do you do for fun? What, how do you unload? There's that work-life balance that we all want to achieve. How do you do that? Everybody always asks what, what I like to do uh, outside of work. I mean, I'm a busy person, Tony. I'll be honest with you. Uh-huh. People that know me think I run on Energizer batteries. So um, I, I love live music concerts. Uh-huh. Living in Colorado, there's a big avenue for that here. Sure. I like to play golf. spoke about that. I also like to do something interesting that a lot of people don't know about. I like to do high elevation gold prospecting. Really? Yeah, we hike up in the mountains and we prospect certain quartz pockets and stuff. So it's kind of interesting. But, you know, I travel with my wife. We enjoy that a lot uh, uh-huh. in state. We have a lot of family out of state, which I look forward to doing a lot more of that soon. Do you have any kids? We don't. It's just my wife and I. She's an elementary school teacher. So oh. uh, she gets to enlighten other children. We like visiting family and friends. I snowboard. So uh, and my wife skis. So we do ski trips to the mountains. Good place to be living then in Colorado. Oh, yes. <laughs> Snow's been great this year. <laughs> but uh, honestly, I spend most of my weeknights working on one of my hobbies in the garage. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like my getaway, uh-huh. you know, a busy day on the phone all day. You're answering questions all day. Sometimes I just lock myself in there and turn the heat up and just kind of tinker around, get my mind off things, you know, it's fun. Yeah. It's important to uh, step back from time to time, you know, kind of re-energize, as you say. Absolutely. Having hobbies is important. I know I've got a couple uh, that I never have time for anymore, it seems. But one of the other things that, that I know 
<clears throat> we talked a little bit about was uh, the community involvement uh, that a lot of our members have. And I think Geno's is no exception. You guys actually are involved in a, in a charitable uh, operation there, aren't you? Yep. Steve's involved in uh, Hands of the Carpenter, which is a great program. It's a uh, program where they, you know, they kind of vet somebody that needs help. And then they, they've proven that they're going to invest a little bit in themselves as well. Uh, what they do is they'll take a car that is in, has been in disrepair. And uh, what we do is uh, we chip in the labor and the uh, parts to get it mostly up and running. They'll do a little of the maintenance stuff. And I think we'll, we'll work together. And then we, in the end, we make a reliable car, I guess is the long and short of it. And then uh, it's given away to somebody that really, really needs it. And so far, it seems like everybody that's got one has really, really needed it. So Yep, we're happy to do that. And uh, it's a learning process for everybody too. So it's it's uh, it's pretty neat. And one of the hallmarks of ASA members is their generosity and their commitment to the community. And that's not an unusual story. One of the things I love about this organization is it's a chance to meet individuals like yourself who are out there really making a difference. Thank you. And it sounds like you're involved along those lines. How are you preparing for what might be next for you as far as, you know, becoming an owner maybe of your own business or, or succeeding, you know, Steve at, at Geno's? Are you taking any of the management training that, for example, ASA offers to prepare yourself or have you been? I tell you what, if it wasn't for ASA, I would have never known the name Cecil Ballard, Greg Marchand, all the great trainers out there. Steve and I have taken classes together, owner classes, management classes. I've been involved in it as long as I've been here, you know. I think my first symposium in Denver was 2013 because I'd started in 2012 here, springtime. So yeah, I mean, I've been to every symposium. I've tried to take every class. I've enjoyed every single one. Some of the keynote speakers, some of the programs there that they have had, the classes are just incredible. I've walked out of there with notes because, you know, they always say, if you go somewhere, if you go to a class, you want to learn at least one thing, bring one thing home. Yeah. And that's true. But I've been to classes where I've brought lots of things home. Yeah. We call those nuggets. Yeah. Some of the trainers I talk to, see, I try to give them at least one or two nuggets and they walk out with, and uh, you can put the work immediately. I've been to the Colorado Summit from our ASA Colorado affiliate. It's a wonderful training event. I, for one, am looking to get back to those live events. A lot of friends out there that I haven't seen in a while. Oh, we'd love to have you. (laughs) Oh, you can't beat the face-to-face, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, John, it's been wonderful talking to you. I I know you're busy. I want to let you get back to work, but any last words before I let you go? I just want to say I hope everybody out there stays safe. You know, we hope to see you get together soon and uh, get back with ASA and have them do what they do best is just keep our industry trained. I feel like I've missed out the last two years with the wonderful, wonderful programs that ASA provides. And uh, I got to say, I've taken a lot of training and ASA is by far my favorite. And that's God's honest truth. We'll be here for you when you need us. Perfect. <laughs> well, John, thanks again. We have been talking with John Glosick, the service manager at Geno's Auto Service in Littleton, Colorado, and one of our next generations of leaders. I would imagine we're going to be seeing each other quite a bit on the road and around the industry. So, John, again, thank you for your time today. Have a great day. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure. Take care. You have a good one. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.